Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 55, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders, The Emperor and the Hangman, part two. That is a long-ass title. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime. It's a pretty pivotal episode because this is our last Stardust Crusaders review until the end of Stone Ocean, part two, which is coming out next week this week it's coming out <laughs> within days of this episode going live so this episode goes live september 29th sorry <laughs> august 29th and stone ocean premieres on september 1st on netflix so boy, yes oh boy it is time creeping up yeah it's time for more stone ocean so as we shared previously we are going to uh kick off our stone ocean review series on september 5th and in honor of that review series, we're going to move temporarily to a weekly review format. So you're going to get episodes for Strictly JoJo every single Monday until we have reviewed every episode of Stone Ocean Part 2. I think there's 12 episodes in total. So for 12 weeks straight, you're going to get Strictly JoJo Stone Ocean review episodes. And then once that's complete, we'll switch back to Part 3 and uh, back to our bi-weekly schedule. So it's going to be fun as we dive into Stone Ocean. Um, it's it's another batch release by Netflix, um, but we thought it'd still be great to review these every single week since a lot of us in the community prefer that weekly format. Yeah, and I know like the, the, the second part will release the weekend of Labor Day here in the States, and so we'll be spending a good chunk of our time during that three-day weekend uh, powering through the series and then making sure that we have enough notes on our plate to discuss each each um, episode piece by piece. And that'll provide this podcast with three months worth of JoJo content, which is a lot more than what Netflix has offered in terms of hyping up part two of Stone Ocean. Yeah, unfortunately, um, there's been very little promotion done that we've seen and a lot of the community community has seen anyway around Stone Ocean Part 2. Maybe Netflix is just banking on the fact that JoJo fans are diehard and we're going to be watching it regardless, but it's a bit of a shame. Um, but I think either way, the JoJo community will be there to watch every minute of Stone Ocean. And the way we like to do things, as we've shared in the past, is we like to uh, watch every episode twice before we go into a, a recording session to review that episode. So as, as Carl just shared, we're going to binge watch Stone Ocean Part 2 when it releases, and then we'll rewatch every episode that we review right before we actually talk about it. So we'll have... Um, a good amount of context and understanding under our belt before we dive into an actual discussion. Because it's a bit tricky when it's it's airing live um, and you watch it once. You miss things, right? Like things go over your head or you might not understand everything the first time around. So we want to make sure that we have the best understanding possible about Jolene's, uh, the next part of her journey. Yeah, this is one of the few exceptions where I will gladly binge a show um, just because it's it's JoJo, and we've talked at length before how about how we would have preferred it to be a weekly format, but you know Netflix is is being a bitch as always. Uh, but yeah, I'm still still keeping my hype up for Stone Ocean, and yeah, it looks like it's gonna be a good month for JoJo because you have the release of All Star Battle R uh, for video game consoles, and I just got a no notification on email 
that our Jolene Grandista figure that we pre-ordered actually a year ago oh my God. is now getting ready for shipment. So it hasn't been shipped. It has been prepared for shipment, which is a lot of progress, I want to say, in this past year. They're just dictating you at this point. <laughs> but yeah, I guess the, the timing couldn't have been better uh, just to coincide with all the JoJo festivities going on. What is the one thing you're most excited for in Stone Ocean Part 2? Um, just hoping that Jotaro turns out okay. <laughs> like, that's the one thing that's hanging over my head, obviously. And from the the trailer that they released for Part 2, which was back in July, I think around the time of Anime Expo, just knowing the context of why Anasui wants to marry Jolene because that was also a big question I had from that trailer I still can't believe that that was in the trailer so as, as we've shared before if something is in a trailer for the anime we, we consider that uh, fair game to talk about because that's like that's out there it's it's in the the known universe for anime watchers um, and yeah they they had a, a very brief clip where Anasui said some line about marrying Jolene. And I'm like, damn, okay. <laughs> I, I am super excited, though, to, to see Anasui. I think that's the one thing I am most hyped for. He is a great character from what I remember in the manga. And, yeah, I can't wait to, to see him. Because we got, we got him visually for, like, a hot second in mm -hmm. part one, but he had no lines. And he's voiced by the same voice actor who voices Hisoka from Hunter Hunter. Oh, that's right. And so he's going to be, it's going to be a great performance as Anasui. I'm just like so stoked for it. Oh, I'm also looking forward to how they handle a certain line that I believe Anasui speaks. It's an iconic line from the manga, but it has the potential to be affected by licensing and copyright. Oh, you know about that? Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think they're just going to do what they did with um, What's-Her-Face with Hermes earlier in the mm -hmm. show um, when she referenced Bugs Bunny's birthday. I think they'll do the same thing with this. That's stupid. Because JoJo is under Warner Brothers in Japan. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it is what it is, right? I mean, we... It's it's more iconic to have the original line in there, but if we can't, they'll they'll do their best to find something similar to that. But yeah, regardless, we're going to continue to celebrate JoJo in all its forms. And just to transition to JoJo news, another person that also likes to celebrate JoJo in all its forms is Megan the Stallion of all people. Even though I know that in the anime community, she's well known for her love of anime. Megan Thee Stallion, for those of you who don't know, she is a, a hip-hop rapper um, who, yeah, has expressed like her, her, her kind of weeb side with a lot of the fashion that she wears and the photo shoots that she does. Uh, but I think she was recently in Japan for Summer Sonic, a, a music festival, and she had the opportunity to go to the JoJo exhibit in Japan. I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago that there's an exhibit for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure celebrating the 10th anniversary 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 of the anime series. And I think she posted pictures on her Twitter 
that we can share in the Discord of her enjoying the exhibit. And yeah, I, I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm a bit jealous because, you know, I guess, I guess these celebrities and artists have the ability to go to Japan because they're invited for music festivals or movie premieres like with Austin Butler and, and the Elvis premiere in Japan. But that leaves the rest of us just wishing we could be in their shoes, especially with us wishing that we could go to this JoJo's exhibit. I think Megan Thee Stallion once said on Twitter that her favorite JoJo is Joseph Joestar. And I'm like, fuck yeah. And then I think when Stone Ocean premiered, she said that Jolene either was her new favorite or is like her second favorite or up there, you know, it's one of her favorite JoJo's. So I'm sure she was really excited to see the Stone Ocean or the, she was probably excited to see the JoJo exhibit, which also included Jolene and some Stone Ocean pieces. Yeah, I, I got to respect Megan and the Stallion for being an actual celebrity weeb. I know that there are a couple celebrities out there who, who say they're into anime, but it's more of a fleeting thing. Like You can see that she kind of lives and breathes anime culture. And I think at Summer Sonic, the, the festival she performed at, she even had a, a Sailor Moon outfit on while she was performing. Yeah. So definitely got to appreciate when anime is brought about in a positive light in like the general public sphere but yeah we'll see we'll share a tweet of megan the stallion's photos from the jojo's exhibit so you too can feel envious of her uh, being able to go to that special event and now we have a few patron shout outs that we'd like to do and these go out to our newest patrons ruka and salvi weeb thank you so much for being patrons of the trickly series we appreciate you guys yes thank you both for your support and your generosity it is simply blinding to go in the theme of light and reflection. Oh, I was wondering where you were going with that. I'm like, well, how does that tie in? Yeah. You know, this episode focuses on Hanged Man and all that fun stuff. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a dramatic episode for your shout out, but um, we appreciate you guys nonetheless. And if you'd like to support the show and get access to things like bonus episodes, our pre-show, our show schedules, even submit questions for us to answer on our podcast, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series. Quick disclosure, by the way, you may hear raindrops in the background as we're discussing this episode because there is a huge storm passing through the area right now um, which is I guess kind of coincidental because it reminds me of when you know we were first introduced to Jay Gile and the Hanged Man and he had that like rainy silhouette around him so oh it's, yeah it's kind of per- perfect timing I guess <laughs> but what were, what were your thoughts on this part two episode because obviously it ties right into the previous episode um, part one where Paul Nareff loses Avdol and meets Whole Horse for the first time and all that drama ensues. Here we have that continuation of that drama um, and sort of the the closure of it, but it will be revisited later on because Whole Horse is still around and so is Avdol. Yeah, I guess first time I was watching this, I was on the edge of my seat really wondering how uh, the Joe Bros would be able to get around Hangman's unique stand ability because, as he mentions in this episode, he's not a stand that you can see physically in front of you. He exists in this sort of parallel mirror world. And so it's not like a lot of the other enemy stand users we've seen previously in this part where they're in front of you, 
they're, they're, they're physically there, they're tangible, and you can attack them. Like here, I was really curious how it was going to be pulled off with Jay Giles' demise. But I also like how you get a, an unlikely pair-up between Polnareff and Kakyoin, just because Kakyoin happened to be there at the point of Opdal's death. And I think he kind of serves as a as the right substitute for Avdal in that moment to kind of help Polner, guide Polnareff through things. What about you? Yeah, I think this is a, a fun mashup. And I've noticed that Kakyoin is um, obviously very close to Jotaro because they're the same age. They're both students. But whenever Kakyoin is with, like, paired up with Polnareff, he tends to be kind of cool. Like, Kakyoin's a straight man of the group. Um, he's not, by definition, a cool character, although he does do cool things sometimes. He was so fucking cool in this episode. And then I think a- another instance of that that I can think of right now is when um, Polnareff and Kakyoin are in that submarine with, with the rest of the Joe Bros. And they do that like handshake thing oh, right. where they like signal to each other that like their underwear is showing or something. I'm like, that's such a cool moment for Kakyoin that he doesn't often have. So here we get a lot of that. And he's definitely a, a huge supporting piece for Polnareff as Polnareff is spiraling like crazy in this episode. But yeah, it's it's um it's a great episode in terms of drama, um, in terms of closure. And I think all in all, it's it's a a great moment for Polnareff to show that he can be big brain because I, similar to you, could not see where Araki was going with Hangman and how his powers work and how they were supposed to defeat him. Polnareff is the one that figures it out, of all people. All right. With all that said and done, dear listeners, it's time to stare deeply into this reflection, otherwise known as our synopsis and spooky discussion for Part 3, Episode 11, The Emperor and the Hanged Man, Part 2. With Avdol's abrupt annihilation, Polnareff's rage meter builds as Whole Horse and Jagile egg him on to make his next move. Kukyuin thankfully talks enough sense into the flat-top Frenchman to escape the Indian standoff b- via jeep, but Hangman stays in tow to try and take down the two via reflective surfaces and eagle-eyed townsfolk. Turns out reflections are best suited for Mulan, however, as Kukyuin hoodwinks the Hangman by diverting the townsfolk's attention towards a gold doubloon, allowing Polnareff to summon Silver Chariot and the coarse, rough, and irritating power of Sand to finally exact his vengeance on his sister's sinister slaughterer. I guess you could say that his blood runs cold and his memory has just been sold. Whole Horse comes back into the picture to try and assert his masculine dominance until the Joestar crew socks the gunslinging goon in the face and inform him of Jay Giles' demise. Before Polnareff can reunite him with Mr. Centerfold in the Shadow Realm, Whole Horse's scorned lover shows up to save him, allowing Whole Horse to escape via Whole Horse. Not wanting to beat a dead horse, the boys continue past the Hanged Man arc and onto the next chapter of their journey, although it might cost them an arm and a leg. But more specifically, Joseph's arm, and maybe not a leg. And now into our next segment of the show, is that a music and or tarot reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. So I have one for this episode. It was actually a character that I think appeared in part one of this arc. Uh, It's Whole Horse's Obsessed Lover, which when he has a chance to escape, he actually says her name 
the subtitle only says uh, forever, but he actually says as he's escaping forever Nina. So this character is Nina, named after Nina, the lead singer of a German new wave band of the same name, widely known for their 1983 single 99 Luftballons, which is translated to English as 99 Red Balloons, the lyrics of which have pretty apparent anti-war overtones. And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And I don't have any for this episode. I think there was uh, pretty pretty significant ones in the last episode, and I guess none really uh, came out of this one. Although, Polnareff does have a great line towards the end of the episode that we'll talk about. So there you have it. But if we missed any from this episode, do reach out and let us know. So still keeping track of when they stop using Jojo to refer to Jotaro. No one really addressed him in this episode. I think maybe towards the end. Um, but he, again, barely had any lines in this episode. So there was no real opportunity to say Jojo. So technically, no Jojo in this episode. But maybe in the next one, um, we'll get uh, another drop of Jojo. We'll have to wait a while until we find out, though. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the episode starts off with Polnareff going off the handle because of all of his emotions. You can see the redness around his eyes from crying streams of tears due to Avdol's demise. And Kakyoin is here trying to talk some sense into him as a replacement for Avdol's wise words. Um, we learn that Hangman is within a mirror um, and that other stands can't enter and therefore can't get to this particular stand. At least that's what Jay Guile is saying um, as is the 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 invincibility factor, I guess, for Hangman. He's claiming that since other stands can't enter the mirror the way Hangman can, he can't be defeated, which we learn later, thanks to Pol Polnareff's big brain moment, is not necessarily the case. Yeah, there are a couple things that I wonder with Hangman. Although, like again, I was really interested in how uh, Kakuin and Polnareff were going to defeat Jay Guile and his Hangman ability. But yeah, sometimes there are certain things with it that... I don't think add up, but before we get to that, um, yeah, with Polnareff, you know, in the aftermath of Avdal's death, it makes you imagine what would have happened if Kakyoin weren't there to cool Polnareff down, because it was clear that uh, Polnareff was obviously visibly distraught at Avdal's death, and it was clear that even though Avdal had told him not to act so brashly. When facing off these enemy stand users, he was doing exactly that with getting riled up against Whole Horse and uh, Jake Guile, especially because they were just taunting him and shooting low blows at him the entire way. And it, that just, it makes my skin kind of crawl and wishing that Polnareff would just take these these stand users out. But, you know, you, you have to be strategic in this case. So, yeah, I wonder if, like, if, Polnareff were just left to his own devices if like this would have been the end of of the journey probably because we learned in the last episode he he can be a bit hot-headed but understandably I mean they were taking some low blows especially when Jay Guy was talking about his sister and killing his sister um, that that of course understandably really hits Polnareff uh, right in the feels 
Um, so yeah, it's it's good that Kakyoin was there and continues to be there for him. They have a really great back and forth throughout this episode that we'll talk a bit more about. But um, I think Kakyoin was was probably the MVP here in terms of supporting Polnareff. Another question I have before their escape is, yeah, I think um, Jagal's talking to Polnareff and Whole Horse is just there alongside Kakyoin, right? Why is why couldn't Whole Horse just snuff either of them? while Jigal was gloating. Especially, again, with Kakyoin, he was the one who was trying to persuade Polnareff to, to, to just leave the situation and have them regroup. That's a good question. Maybe um, maybe Jigal wanted to have that kill for Polnareff, um, just to kind of close that chapter. Or maybe it's because Paul, uh, Whole Horse says later in the episode that he's always a number two man. He, he yeah. doesn't shine unless he's got a, a second person with him. Um, he's more of that. He, he admits he's more of that support enemy. So maybe that's why he didn't want to just, you know, pull the trigger, no pun intended, and kind of uh, off them in that moment. But we do learn here that uh, a, a bit more about Emperor and how it works. That I guess it has a limited range. And Whole Horse explains the farther the bullet travels, the weaker it is. Because when they do make their escape, um, they're so far down the road in that car, in that truck, that uh, Whole Horse realizes it's probably not viable to try and take them down with emperor see that makes sense like a bullet can only be so effective at a distance even in, in real life what doesn't make sense and this is one of the things that um i question about hangman is we know that uh that hangman the stand was just bouncing off of reflective surfaces as the pickup was driving off right and that's how he was able to keep up with kakumin and Polnareff. How was Jay Guile able to keep pace with the pickup truck? Yeah, I have no idea. I don't even know where <laughs> Jay Guile was. And like most stands function in a way where the further the stand gets from their user, the weaker it is. Or there's a, a tie, like a set limited range, like Star Platinum um, with Jotaro. So I, I have no clue. I feel like that's a big plot hole that Jay Guile, like you know, wasn't there to keep pace with the car. Or maybe it's just that his stand can go an infinite distance um, as long as it has a reflective surface to exist in. I'm just trying to picture Jay Guile running at the same speed of this pickup truck, like it going, what, 30, 40 miles an hour? Well, what's <laughs> interesting is that when the truck flips over, we find out that Jay Giles actually in another like small town area mm -hmm. near where the truck was driving toward. So was he not even anywhere near Whole Horse when the uh, the beginning of the episode took place? Or was he, I don't know, did he somehow transport himself very, very quickly to this other town? No, I, I figured he would have been somewhere near Whole Horse in the initial standoff. You got like... <laughs> It seems like it's it's one of those things where Jagal has to be within a certain distance of of the stand for it to to work. So yeah, it's just making me wonder how exactly he was able to keep pace with a, a a moving pickup truck. Yeah, I think it's one of those questions that only Araki can answer because only Araki can create these laws in the JoJo universe. As they're going through their, their escape, as they're in the truck, um, Kakyoin does one of, again, the few badass things that he does in part three. 
He literally knocks some sense into Polnareff by elbowing him in the fucking face. Says, in lieu of a handshake, I'm going to elbow you in the fucking face instead. And Polnareff thanks him for it. Um, I just thought that was so cool for Kakyoin because I don't think Kakyoin's the type to choose violence. I think he uh, would rather just take the calm approach and talk through something with Polnareff. But he was probably so fed up with Polnareff's bullshit and Polnareff being so uh, emotionally driven that he was like, bro, you've got to chill the fuck out. Yeah, I like this moment because it, it kind of reminds me of like a B-action movie sort of thing to happen. Um, I, I took it as, you know, like it took so much convincing for Polnareff to have a cool head in this situation, starting with Avdol and now with Kakyoin himself, that the best way to just sum up all of that and, and see that Polnareff finally accepted it is by just socking him in the face and saying, this is what you should have done in the first place. And then as they're driving along, Polnareff is saying, you know, he's reflecting what Jay Guile said about hanged man existing in the mirror world and how are we going to defeat this guy? And then Kakyoin responds by saying there is no world within a mirror um, and says that, uh, you know, th there's something else at play here. Technically, he's correct when it comes to hanged man, but then it makes me think back on man in the mirror from part five because I think the way, and it's been a while since I've watched part five, but I think the way they explained man in the mirror is that there is a mirror world that the stand exists in and can pull other people or objects into mm -hmm. so was kakyoin correct or was he incorrect in the grand scheme of things in this episode not only that but even with part five uh Bucerity, like the zipper world that's also kind of in its own realm too right so that's a weird one because the zipper world is like a, a, a thing that kind of exists in a couple of different ways because it's like that swirly background, right? Like that mm -hmm. infinite abyss in a swirly background. There are other stands that we've seen in JoJo that have maybe almost like access to that same world or something similar. And one that I think of is uh, fucking uh, Emporio from part six because oh, when right. they're hiding... I think it's Emporio and Jolene maybe and somebody else are hiding like in a jacket. I can't remember. Um, or is it the suit of armor? Or something. I, They're yeah. hiding somewhere and like behind them you see kind of that swirly dimension. And, and so I'm like, is this a thing where certain stands have access to this? This like dimension, right? Like there, there's other stands I think that we've seen in other parts. I just can't remember off the top of my head. If anyone does remember, um, please let us know. But yeah, I, I, that one's a, a unique one. There's like a different type of dimension that they can travel or access. Or what about like Death 13? Or would you consider that more of like, like a dream rather than a dimension? That I think is like a stand entering someone's psyche. Like their mm, brain. Like there's okay. been other shows and movies that, that deal with, you know, tapping into someone's dreams, um, accessing their dreams and like doing things to them in their dreams. Um, so I assume that's different than a mirror world, but similar conceptually where there's like another realm or space that they're able to access due to their stand powers. But then Polnareff says to Kakyoin, if there are such things as stands, if stands exist in this world, then there can be such a thing as a mirror world. Mm -hmm. But Kakyoin is still adamantly saying no. So I don't know. Maybe Kakyoin was just overly confident or maybe he's correct and our interpretation of how man in the mirror works is, is incorrect. So we'll have to see when we get to part five. I like to say it's just stands evolve over time. And that's why we get all of these outrageous ones going through part four and especially part five that maybe back then 
when stands suddenly existed in the 1980s, they weren't as developed as the stands that we've seen in subsequent parts. So once um, Hangman catches up to them and causes Kakyoin to flip the truck over and then they hide behind a rock, a kid shows up. And the kid's like, yo, you guys good? <laughs> and he's trying to help them. But uh, they realize that Hangman has traveled from the reflective surface on the, the car. I think it was the bumper. Um, that was the last piece that, it, that Hangman was in. Uh, it traveled to the kid's eyeball, essentially. And so it's just so funny to watch Polnareff running away from this kid's gaze, telling him to stop looking at them. And the kid's like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? You're bleeding right now. And it, you get a shot of like the as if looking through the kid's eyes as he's following Polnareff. And then you see Polnareff doing like the, the shoe. Yeah. Kind of thing. <laughs> so very comedic moment. Um, I think it's... Uh, around this point, really quick, just to fill in the stand stats up here for Emperor, uh, just to go through that quickly. Destructive power is B, speed is B, range is B, durability is C, precision and accuracy is E, and that kind of makes sense because of, again, whole horse's range and control of the bullets from Emperor, and development potential, which is E. I think the funniest thing about this, um, this eye catch is that you know, with previous enemy stands or stand users, you would see the actual stand manifest. Here, it's just a fucking gun. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing special about it. Uh, but going back to this kid, I think uh, Polnareff comes to the realization that there's a way around um, Hangman's ability, which is to kick s sand into <laughs> the kid's eyes. Uh, if you notice, he promised the kid a caramel yeah. <laughs> right before he kicked sand. So just like Jotaro and the ice cream kid from the Yellow Temperance episode, you have to wonder, did Polnareff ever keep his promise? <laughs> <laughs> Doubt it. <laughs> I sort of wish in this episode, because Polnareff kicks sand into people's eyes twice, I almost wish he had pocket sand. I almost wish he <laughs> like kind of like, of yeah, yeah, as a strategic move, grabbed some sand, stuffed it in his pocket, and then waited for the moment he could throw pocket sand at somebody's eyes. But yes, he does uh, kick sand into the poor kid's eyes, um, understandably so, so that he could get Hangman to move from one reflective surface to another. And in that moment, he uses um, Silver Chariot with its precision cutting to slice uh, slice Hangman across the chest. And so here, it's Polnareff's big brain moment when he realizes it's not the mirror necessarily, it's that Hangman exists as light. And once a, a reflective surface is about to be destroyed or disappear, Hangman is forced to move to the next reflective surface, which happens to be Polnareff's eye directly across from the kids. I'm like, good for you, Polnareff. You had a, a really smart moment in your, your streak of really dumb moments in the last two episodes. <laughs> and in that moment, too, Polnareff gives some sort of, like, speech to Kakyoin, or not, like, d directly to Kakyoin, but um, as an example to Kakyoin, saying, in these moments, you know, you have to be confident. You can't say, what are we going to do? You got to say something clever. And I didn't write it down, whatever Polnareff said, but he's acting all, you know, confident and um, composed in this moment, which we see come back uh, a little bit later with Kakyoin. Yeah, it's another one of those things that, like, a line you can hear from, like, a B-action movie where he declares... He declares his name and says, I will, you know, in in retaliation for well, the murder of my sister and Avdal, I will send you to the Shadow Realm or whatever. <laughs> uh, I like that. Yeah, this line comes up 
several times. Uh, I think Polnareff says it twice, and then Kakuin says it once more to kind of close out the episode, or to close out their fight against Jay Guile. When they do figure out Jay Guile's location, which is, I think, through a scream that they hear after Polnareff slices Hangman, um, they run all the way over and see a dude, you know, cl- clutching his bleeding chest on the ground. And Polnareff gives this whole sp- this whole fucking speech to the wrong guy. I'm like, poor Polnareff can't catch a break. But also, he didn't stop to think, like, or he didn't stop to look at the guy's hands and confirm that they're two right hands. It wasn't until Kakyoin decided to look down and saw a left hand instead that he was like, wait a, wait a second, it's not the right guy. It's not the right guy. So Polnareff <laughs> just like, I don't know, insert foot and mouth in that moment when it's, he's given the speech to the wrong dude entirely. Yeah, it, it's the French conceit. I think he kind of <laughs> did the same thing when he was the antagonist against Avdol. You know, just just so proud of himself in that. He was able to do something in this moment, but doesn't take a read of, of the field. But then what I don't get is after they realize that that's not Jay Guile, Jay Guile then throws a knife at Cock, uh, at Polnareff's back, but then reveals himself immediately after. I'm like, why, why would you reveal yourself? It's not like you have your stand immediately there to protect you. It's not like Star Platinum where he can just be like almost a, a, a wall or a shield in certain ways. Your, your stand only exists in reflective surfaces, so you have to be very careful about how and when you can attack your opponent. So, like, why the fuck would Jay Guile reveal where he's at? It's his conceit, too, I would say. And I think he knew exactly how he wanted to strategize his play against Kakuin and Polnareff because later he summons that group that's also in those, I don't know if, it, yeah, the, the nearby village or, or ruins or whatever. Uh, but... I think, you know, it's just that villainous desire to, to gloat against your enemy that you know ultimately got the best of uh, Jay Guile. He celebrated too early. Yeah. <laughs> and then Kakyoin has another cool moment in this episode where he essentially repeats what Polnareff had taught him earlier um, when announcing his revenge, um, saving Polnareff yet again in this episode and having, again, his, his, his cool shining moment. And they work together to distract the, the crowd using a coin. Um, again, the sand, which should have been pocket sand, pocket into sand. A, a guy's eye. Uh, Hangman goes from the eyeball to the coin because now Polnareff can predict the trajectory, and he slices the shit out of Hangman. I was wondering how Silver Chariot was able to so precisely cut through Hangman, but it, this actually makes sense. Um, it's not an Iraqi forgot kind of thing because Silver Chariot's speed, according to its stand chart, is A. So, yeah, you, you can't try. <laughs> I guess this, as much as a, a figment of light that Hanged Man is, I guess Silver Chariot can cut through the speed of light. <laughs> well, we have to remember, too, that um, Silver Chariot in the in Polnareff's introductory episode cut through Abdul's fire. Remember, it pierced it almost mm. like a fucking like, kebab. Um, it was just like on Silver Chariot's blade. I think that's to show how precise and how unique Silver Chariot's cutting abilities are. So Polnareff finally gets his revenge um, that he so longed for. Uh, against Jay Guile, slices and dices, and pretty much they confirm that he's been killed at that point. So we do have a confirmed kill on Polnareff's part with uh, with Jay Guile. And yeah, that was kind of bloody, just seeing his his body kind of skewered through that, that fence or that gate. 
And well, I don't think it was skewered. I think he just like, like his pant leg just got caught on it because uh, you get a shot from behind and you can see the full fence behind Jay Giles' body. So I think he more just got like caught on it versus like got pierced by it. Okay, maybe just the censors the censorship of the episode kind of confused me on what exactly, uh, how exactly Jay Giles' body was contorted. Uh, but I guess the other thing I want to mention with this episode is. Just I I love the use of the the theme noble pope throughout this episode, which that's typically associated with Kakuine, because like his his tarot card hierophant, you can also call it a noble pope. But here it's used multiple occasions whenever either him or either he or Polnareff have the one up moment against Jay Guile. It's it's so iconic and i guess so noble that you really don't need like the main jojo protagonist theme to feel hyped in these moments yeah i agree it like amplifies the the partnership between polnareff and kakyoin here and polnareff finally getting the revenge that he's longed for and then we get one more stand chart for the hanged man which is now i think uh the previous episode it was all question marks uh, or was that um, yeah it was all question marks in episode 10 but now we get the full revelation so for hanged man destructive power is C speed is A range is A durability is B precision and accuracy is D and development potential is D and the thunder outside is loud <laughs> <laughs> alright so then we are moving on to the last part of this episode which is all about whole horse so Kakioin and Polnareff return back to the main town area, um, and Whole Horse essentially has no clue that Jay Guile was defeated. Wait, so was he just standing there the whole time? Probably. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I'll just wait. And Whole Horse acting all cocky, um, he you know talks out of his ass. He fires off a few bullets and even says like, "Hey, Jay Guile, do you want to go ahead and like get rid of these guys?" And just looks like a total asshole. <laughs> um, yeah, Jay Guile has been defeated. He has been killed. And Whole Horse, um, upon realizing this, once Polnareff confirms it with him, legitimately runs away from the fight. And at first I was like, <laughs> what a pussy. But then I was like, wait a minute. That's a solid strategy for Joseph and yeah. Jotaro. So I can't blame him. He took a page <laughs> from the Joestar book of strategies. <laughs> so yeah, Whole Horse runs away. But then he runs into, literally runs into Jotaro and Joseph around the corner. Uh, I think Jotaro punches him in the face, yeah. knocks him back, and then Polnareff's like, I'll take care of this guy. But then as Polnareff is about to get rid of Whole Horse, a girl, Nina, tackles Polnareff and, you know, tackles him to the ground. And it's so funny because in that moment, the look on Jotaro's face compared to everyone else is just perfect Jotaro. Like his eyes are, are completely blacked out and he's just so unimpressed and annoyed by the whole situation because he <laughs> hates when like, you know, annoying women show up or annoying characters show up and just like, you know, I, I think just him watching Polnareff struggle in that moment, he was probably like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> so then Polnareff tries to chase after Whole Horse, but Nina won't let go. So he keeps trying to like get her off of him and then ends up just trying to walk while she's holding onto his body. But that drags her across the ground and ends up scraping her elbow. And in that moment, she yells, ah, in pain. And Polnareff <laughs> being the, the hilarious character he is, he's like, don't ah me, you bitch. Like, oh my God, it was so great. And in the, the, the sub, the Japanese voice actor just 
just states that line in such a hilarious way. Like even if you don't speak Japanese, you can hear the inflection and the the vibe that he's trying to get across. Because Polnareff is telling her, "Get the fuck off of me." She won't do it, and then she gets hurt, and he's like, "Well, that's not my problem. You won't let go." Yeah, the the voice actor just commits to the line as stupid as it sounds. Like, "Don't <laughs> don't ah me, you bitch." And you know, the, just this whole scene. You know, you have the previous one with uh, Jay Guile finally succumbing to his death and just how dramatic that whole scene is. Then you cut to this and it feels like you're watching like a, something out of a comedy movie. Again, yeah, Poland Ref just can't catch a break. He has his, his moment to shine. He gets his revenge, but then it's immediately followed up by him uh, having a very embarrassing moment as this chick is like dragging him down to the ground. <laughs> I will give Polnareff credit, though, because this is kind of, as humorous as this whole thing is, I think this is kind of a moment of character growth for him because instead of continuing to pursue Whole Horse, which is something that he would have done previously before he came to this moment of realization about like what the bigger picture is, uh, he, he reels back and he understands that you know, this might not be a good time to go after someone that I know has done something so wrongful against me. Um, He reinvigorates himself with the overall mission, which is to save uh, uh, Jotaro's mother. And yeah, it just feels like he he finally understands what Abdul was trying to tell him originally. So big moment for Polnareff, even (laughs) after the don't awe me, you bitch moment. No, I agree. And yeah, he, he definitely acts all righteous and says we need to pour our hearts into defeating Dio and we can't go off on our own. We have to cooperate as a team. But as as um, as much of a character growth moment as that is, it's also just a really hilarious moment for Polnareff because he's basically doing a 180 and acting all high and mighty and disregarding the fact that he was acting the exact way he's saying not to just moments ago. And of course, everyone knowing Polnareff for the... Per- the person he is they just sort of chuckle and and they laugh it off and and move on with their journey but then there's that fateful boil oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that's gonna be a fun episode to come back to after stone ocean (laughs) yeah and that brings us to our final thoughts for part three episode 11 the emperor and the hanged man part two so after giving it some reflection what did you think of this episode I thought it was good. It was great closure for Polnareff. I still am surprised. I think I mentioned this in the previous episode or um, somewhat recently. I'm still surprised that we're getting closure for Polnareff's big, um, you know, backstory moment, the, the murder of his sister, so soon into part three. Normally those things happen later in a show as a supporting character continues to grow and goes through struggles and, you know, becomes closer with with the, the group that they're traveling with. Here, Polnareff gets that that closure pretty early on. And I think it's it makes sense um, because it's also the time that we're losing Avdol and it allows Polnareff to have a clear head moving forward with, you know, pursuing Dio. And he says to Avdol in the previous episode that he doesn't care about Dio. He doesn't care about this mission. He was just here for a self-serving reason of finding Jay Guile in order to avenge his sister. Uh, but here at the end of part two of this arc, he says, you know, now we need to focus on Dio. This is important. And so... While Polnareff's not the type to come out and say it directly, what he's essentially saying here is, I appreciate you guys. You were here for me um, to to get my revenge against uh, my sister's murderer, and I'm going to be here for you on your journey to defeat Dio. What about you? 
Yeah, this was a satisfying conclusion to Polnareff's revenge arc against uh, Jay Guile, especially with Kakuin coaching him along the way to sort of use the, the patience against his opponents, which was the very thing that Avdol originally advocated for. So it's nice that that was finally drilled into Polnareff's flat top by the end of this episode. And I just love all the gotcha moments, all the one-upsmanship moments of this episode as we see Kakyoin and Polnareff work together to put a stop to Hangman's attacks and his abilities. I guess, yes, they are stand users, but you could also call them sand users. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And I know that this episode is kind of our pit stop to our Star Dust Crusaders review series, but it ends it on a positive note. As we see Polnareff, the flat-topped Joe Bro, gain an immense sense of closure with his character backstory and development. So we end on a high, and once we've concluded our review of Stone Ocean Part 2, can't wait to get back into it with uh, seeing what Nina's stand, the Empress, what that will what that will entail for our Stardust Crusaders. Yeah, it is a great spot for us to have ended, um, or I guess paused our part three of View series. So that worked out really great. I cannot wait to talk about Stone Ocean. I can't wait to talk about Anasui and Jolene, and of course, Weather Report and everything else that's going to go down in those next 12 episodes of part six. So be sure to tune in. I know it's next week. Tune in on September 5th for the kickoff of our Stone Ocean review series. So again, we are moving to weekly episodes for the next 12 weeks as we go through the next 12 episodes of Stone Ocean, and we hope to see you there. Subscribe to Strictly Jojo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. And check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued. (laughs) 